Hey, good evening, guys. How's everybody? Good. Yeah, good. All right. Hey, if you guys brought a Bible tonight, I want you to open it to uh, the last book uh, in the Bible, the book of the Revelation, uh, chapter 13. We're going to spend most of the evening there in Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. And you know, um, when you look at world history, the world has known some pretty incredible dictators down through the ages. I mean, there's been uh, Nebuchadnezzar, there's been Alexander the Great, there's been the Caesars, you've had Hitler and Stalin and Mussolini. But as we look into the pages of the Bible and as we start looking towards the end time, the Bible tells us that we're going to see a dictator We're going to see an absolute ruler that's going to put all of these guys together to shame. The Bible calls him the Antichrist. And the reason that the Antichrist and his career is important to us is for the very same reason that it's important to us when we're at the metro station that those lights on the floor start blinking. See, when you see the lights on the floor start blinking, what do you know? You know the train can't be far behind, right? And when we see the Antichrist come, what the Bible tells us is we know that the coming of the Lord Jesus, the second coming of Christ, can't be far behind. So we're very interested in this guy. Not that we could give a roar and flip about him, but what we care about is the fact that the Lord Jesus is going to be right behind him in his second coming. So we're going to talk about the Antichrist tonight. We're going to look at what the Bible says about him. That's our first order of business. Then after we get that, we're going to talk about who is he. And then finally, we're going to talk about what are the implications of all of this information for your life and my life as followers of Christ in the 21st century. What do we know about the Antichrist? Let's look here in Revelation chapter 13. There's a bunch of facts that are given to us. Let's see if we can kind of move through them and get a sense of who this guy is and what his career is going to be like. First of all, Revelation chapter 13, verse 3, says that the whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Now, of course, the beast is the language that's used, the term that's used in this chapter for the Antichrist. And the Bible tells us, first of all, that the Antichrist is going to be a worldwide celebrity. He's going to be a person that's going to have a global following, and he's going to have a mesmerizing influence on people all over the world so that the whole world is going to follow this guy. He's going to kind of be like the ultimate Pied Piper, if you know what I mean. And the whole globe is going to follow him. Second of all, verse 7. And he was given authority over every tribe, every people, every language, and every nation. The second thing the Bible tells us about this guy is that he is going to exercise political power over the entire world, that his power is going to be absolute And, you know, none of these dictators we name, not Stalin, not Hitler, uh, not Caesar, none of these guys ever succeeded in ruling the entire globe at the same time. But the Bible tells us the Antichrist is going to succeed in actually doing that. The third thing we know about him, Revelation 13, verse 13, he performs great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven in the full view of men. And because of the signs he was given power to do, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. 
Now, a lot of what we read in Revelation 13 can be uh, corroborated with other passages of Scripture. And this one, for example, is corroborated from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. His coming, the Bible says, will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. The Bible tells us that the Antichrist will have the very power of Satan himself working through this guy. Will he do miracles? Yes. Will he do miraculous signs? Yes. Will he do incredible wonders? Yes. This guy's going to make David Copperfield look like a midget compared to what he can do. And he's going to wow the whole world to the point that the whole world is taken in and agrees to follow him. The next thing. Revelation 13, verse 5. And the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and to blaspheme God and to slander God's name. Verse 14. And he ordered an image to be set up in his honor and he caused all who would not worship it to be killed. Daniel chapter 11 also says this. It says in verse 13, he will exalt and magnify himself above every God. Second Thessalonians 2 says, he will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshiped so that he sets up an image of himself in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Remember we said last week, that one of the things the Antichrist is going to do is allow the Jewish people to rebuild their temple in Jerusalem. But, but during his reign, he's going to actually desecrate their temple by putting an image of himself up inside that temple and demanding that everybody in the world worship him as God. Now, Stalin never did that. Hitler never did that. None of these guys ever did that. This guy's going to demand he be worshipped as God. And the result, verse 8, chapter 13, verse 8, is that all the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. That is, everybody whose name was not written in the Lamb's book of life. The Bible tells us that the Antichrist is going to take in, he's going to deceive the whole world so fully, so completely, that the entire world is going to worship him, except that is, for the people who are followers of Jesus Christ, and who know the truth. Number five, Revelation chapter 13, verse 16. And he forces everyone to receive a mark on their right hand or their forehead so that nobody can buy or sell unless they have the mark. The Antichrist, as a way of consolidating his power, establishes a single world economy that he controls. And if any person doesn't have his mark, either on their hand or on their forehead, they cannot do economy. They cannot buy. They cannot sell. They can't earn a living. They can't buy food. He's going to use this as a way of controlling the world. Now you say, Lon, I, I, you know, that sounds a little far-fetched to me. In fact, that sounds a little screwy to me that he would actually be able to set up some kind of system over the whole world whereby he could control commerce like that. Well, be careful. You never can tell. There was a little article in USA Today just several weeks ago, and this was after the events of 9-11. And uh, here's, what, here's what this little survey asked. They asked two questions. Number one, do you favor the implementation of a national ID system? 68% of Americans said yes. And then they asked, do you favor the use of facial scanning technology 
as a way of making sure that we can scan people and that nobody can sneak through customs or sneak into the country or do anything like that. doesn't matter if you have an ID. doesn't matter if you have a passport. You can't fake that because we're going to scan your facial features. 86% of Americans said they favor this. Hey, you know what? Some great crisis is all it's going to take to move the entire world to saying the only way we can handle this and the only way we can be secure is to have some way worldwide of controlling who goes where and what they do, some way worldwide of identifying people and controlling people. Be careful. This sure could happen. I never thought I'd see the day that 86% of Americans, the other 14% must have been the ACLU. That's all I can figure. Because I never thought I'd see the day that many Americans would favor some kind of control like this. And what do you hear Secretary Ashcroft saying? I heard him say the other day that he favors denying the rights of the Constitution to people who are terrorists. Now, I'm not here to tell you about the political realities one way or the other on that. You can have your own opinion. But I never thought I'd ever hear an American attorney general make a comment like that ever that we're not going to give the constitutional rights to people no matter who they are. Hey, be careful. Can we go here? You bet we could go here. Let's go on. Revelation chapter 13 goes on to say, verse 14. You say, well, Lon, let me just stop you and say, the people in our world are pretty savvy. I can't imagine the people in our world falling for a character like this and the whole world following this guy. We've got some smart people in the world. How in the world could this happen? Well, look, verse 14, because of the signs that he was given power to do, he, the Antichrist, deceived the inhabitants of the earth. Second Thessalonians says, with all the deception of Satan... He will mislead those who did not receive the truth, that is, about Jesus Christ. And for this reason, because they wouldn't receive the truth about Jesus Christ, God will send on these people a deluding influence so that they will believe the Antichrist's lie. See, what the Bible is telling us is that as a discipline for the world rejecting Christ, God is finally going to reach the point where His patience runs out And he is going to send a deluding influence, like a a spirit of stupor or something like that, on the people of this world, which allows the Antichrist to deceive people and bewitch people and mislead people, and people don't even know what's happening to them. Now, that is a really scary thought. Have you ever seen these, these images on the History Channel or elsewhere of all these people in Nazi Germany in the 30s standing out in the square? Heil Hitler! Heil Hitler! Tens of thousands of these people! And you think, how in the world could they get drawn in and believe what this madman was all about? How could he convince all of these people? Where were the voices of opposition? Well, there weren't any. How could he do it? Well, I don't know, but he only did it to one country. This guy's going to do it to the whole world. And he's going to do it through the power of Satan because God is going to allow him to delude those people who would not receive the truth and give their life to Jesus Christ. That's scary. Once the Antichrist consolidates all of his power, what's he do with it? He's got the whole world now at his command. What's he do? What's his agenda? Well, he finally, after first presenting himself as just being a good old guy, he finally reveals his real agenda. 
Listen, Revelation 13, 7. And he was given power to make war against the followers of Jesus Christ and to overcome them for 42 months. The Bible tells us that part of the Antichrist agenda is to wipe every single follower of Christ off the face of the earth. But more than that, he also has as his agenda to finish the job that Hitler started, and that is to try to wipe out every single Jewish person off the face of the earth. Uh, Zechariah 13, verse 8, tells us that the Antichrist will succeed in killing two-thirds of the nation of Israel, that the last few of them that there are will hole up in Jerusalem, and the Antichrist will make his move on them while they're holed up in Jerusalem. Daniel chapter 11, verse 41, he will invade the beautiful land, meaning, of course, Israel. He will pitch his tents between the seas at the holy mountain of God. We'll come back, Revelation 16. Then he gathered the kings of the earth together in a place that is called in Hebrew Armageddon. Where is the valley of Armageddon? The valley of Armageddon, friends, is right here in the central valley of Israel, exactly where the Bible says in the Old Testament that he's going to pitch his tents and right where the New Testament says he's going to gather his army And what's the purpose of having that army there? Well, the purpose is very simple. He's going to move on Jerusalem where the last few believers and the last few Jewish people are holed up. And he's convinced he's got them now. There's no nation going to help them. There's nobody to help them. Everybody's got the mark of the beast. These are the only few people left who don't have the mark of the beast. He's got them, he thinks. All right. Now, what happens at that point? At that point... Jesus returns. Look at Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Then the Bible says, I saw heaven open and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called faithful and true. And the armies of heaven were following him. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth all gathered together to make war against this rider, against the one on the white horse. But the beast was captured and was thrown alive into the lake of fire. Just as it looks totally hopeless for these last few Jewish people, just as it looks totally hopeless for for these last few believers, the Lord Jesus returns. The Lord Jesus steps foot back on earth and he moves against the Antichrist, completely defeats him. The Bible says throws him into the lake of fire, schwacks him. I love that. Just schwacks the guy. And... Who is he? Who is this guy? Well, friends, you say, is he Saddam? Well, a lot of people thought he was. Is he, um, is he Osama bin Laden? A lot of people say maybe he's the guy. Who is he? Well, I can't tell you who he is. But I think I can tell you where he'll be from. You say, what do you mean? Well, in the last chapters of the book of Revelation, every time we find the Antichrist being talked about, we find him in connection with a city. Listen. Revelation 14, 18, talking about the Antichrist fall, it also says Babylon is fallen. Revelation 16, 19, God remembered Babylon and gave her the cup of the wine of his fierce anger. Revelation 18, verse 10, woe to you, Babylon, for your judgment has come. Revelation 18, 21, Babylon will be thrown down and never be found again. It's clear to me that the capital city of the Antichrist empire is going to be this city of Babylon. You say, but Babylon doesn't exist. 
Babylon was torn down hundreds and thousands of years ago. There is no Babylon. Oh, that's close, but no cigar. Hold on a second. I am convinced that the rebuilt city of Babylon in modern day Iraq is going to form the center of the kingdom of the Antichrist. I'm not convinced Saddam Hussein is going to be he, but I'm convinced that this is going to be the central uh, clearing area from which the Antichrist is going to operate. And when the Lord Jesus destroys the Antichrist in the Valley of Armageddon, he's also going to destroy his capital city, which is why in Revelation 14 and 16 and 18, we find him pronouncing judgment on the city of Babylon. Now, you may have heard the Antichrist is going to come from Europe. You may have heard the Antichrist is going to come from China. You may have heard the Antichrist is going to come from Russia. I'm here to tell you that Babylon in the Bible means Babylon and that Russia isn't mentioned in connection with the Antichrist. Europe isn't mentioned. Rome isn't mentioned. China isn't mentioned. America isn't mentioned. Babylon is mentioned time after time. And that's where I believe it's got to happen. God, you know, if he meant Rome, he'd have said Rome. If he meant China, I'm sure he could have said China. But he meant Babylon, and that's what he said. Now, let's talk about, in closing, what are the implications of all of this? If this is right, if I'm correct, then what does this really mean for us in the 21st century? I've got four implications I want to share with you in closing. Number one, it means, if we're correct, that Islam or some offshoot of Islam is going to be the religious system of the Antichrist and his kingdom. And you know, folks, we have seen in recent years the ability of Islam to be molded into hero worship by people who distort it. We've seen, uh, we've all got the mental images of the Ayatollah Khomeini in Iran, of Saddam Hussein in Iraq, of Muammar Gaddafi in Libya, of Osama bin Laden. And as the end of the age approaches, if we're correct, we should expect to see all the major Islamic nations of the Middle East pulling together to follow some mesmerizing leader who's ruling from Babylon in the modern country of Iraq. First thing we should be looking for. Second of all, if we're correct, the second implication is that the Middle East is going to be the focal point of all the, the key events of the end of the age. Third, third implication is you and I as followers of Christ should not get discouraged as we see the world spiraling downward. God is right here in control. Everything's happening exactly the way he told us it was going to happen. So relax. It's all going according to plan. Number four and finally is if all that we've said is true, we need to be diligent about sharing our faith. You know, the Bible teaches that those of us we will talk more about this next week who know Christ. We're not going to go through those horrible years of the Antichrist. We're going to be raptured, taken out of this world before that period starts. We ought to be sharing our faith for two reasons. Number one, we want as many people to go with us in the rapture as we possibly can. Why would we want anybody to go through this horrible time? And two, even if somebody doesn't accept Christ, even if somebody doesn't respond positively, the Bible tells us in the beginning of the reign of the Antichrist that there's going to be a huge amount, we'll talk more next week, of evangelistic activity, that the first thing that's going to happen after we're gone is that 144,000 Jewish people are going to look and go, wow, wow, look at that. The thing Susie was telling me about Jesus was right. Unbelievable. Now, this is going to be your doctor, your dentist, your lawyer. 
These people are going to be the ones who are going to look at that. And they're going to say, you know, my client was right. Jeez, they were telling me the truth the whole time. And 144,000 of these Jewish people, Revelation 7 says, God is going to commission them to be kosher Billy Grahams all over the world. They're going to go out and preach, and they're going to have incredible success at the beginning of the tribulation period. At the beginning. And so you may share Christ now with somebody, and they may not respond. But you know what, friends? They may be one of those people that God chooses to become one of the great leaders, one of the great evangelists in the early part of the tribulation period. Either way, we need to be making sure that we're telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, all about the Lord, abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because we know our labor is not in vain in the Lord. And I want to challenge you. It doesn't even matter if somebody accepts Christ now. It doesn't even matter if they listen to you now. The point is, there are going to be a whole bunch of people when we're gone who are going to turn around and say, Wow, they were right. And they're going to respond then. We need to be holding the Lord Jesus out. Okay? Last thing, and I'll just throw this in as we close. When you see, here's my last implication. When you see some charismatic Arab leader based in Babylon, uniting the Arab world, making a peace treaty with Israel, telling the Jewish people that they can rebuild their temple. When you see that, here's my last implication. Sell your IRAs, cash in your 401ks, buy that red Porsche you've always wanted. I'm serious. Hey, go to Hawaii, take that Hawaiian vacation you've always dreamed about, buy that leather coat you've been drooling over. I'm telling you, because we're leaving here soon. Amen. All right. You bet. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's a wonderful hope that you've given us. The hope of knowing that the Antichrist is not the final victor in all of this. Is he a little scary? Yeah. Is the whole process a little scary? Yeah. Do we as followers of Christ have anything to worry about? Absolutely not. We are as safe in you as safe can get. And Lord, my, my prayer is that you would encourage our hearts today as we watch our world falling down around us. As we watch terrorism and the family disintegrating and social mores falling apart. And as we watch conflict all over the world. Lord, if we get our eyes on that, we're going to be discouraged. My prayer is that you would take our eyes off of that and remind us tonight that this is what you told us was going to happen. This is no surprise. And as we watch prophecy unfold right in front of our eyes in the 21st century. Lord, grant that we might keep our eyes on Jesus. Grant that we might keep our eyes on your promises to us. And grant, Lord Jesus, that the more we see this country and this world moving towards the events of the Antichrist, that our response will be simply, Maranatha, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Lord, thanks for giving us the wonderful hope we have of knowing that in you, as I said, we are safe as safe can be. Encourage our hearts tonight, Lord, and teach us as we have been taught tonight. Motivate us, challenge us to go out and share our faith, because we know the end is near. 
And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.